bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And today we are joined by the NDP candidate for Sackville Preston Chesicook in Nova Scotia, Jenna Chisholm. Jenna is a young Mi'kmaq woman from Millbrook First Nation who has dedicated her life to fighting for better public services for working families, meaningful reconciliation, protecting the environment, and better health services. Jenna has fought to improve support for young First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people across Canada, serving as the youth executive for the board of the National Association of Friendship Centers, and she has worked with many residential school survivors, Indian Day school survivors, 60s scoop survivors, and their families to address intergenerational trauma and begin their healing journeys. And she studied communications and public policy at Mount St. Vincent University. So Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are one of the women of color we are speaking to for this election series about women of color on the campaign trail. And you are basically really early in your your political journey as a a quote unquote politician, whatever that means. Um, And this is your your first time running. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. It is. And so what has that experience been like so far? So far, it's been super exciting, but it's also very funny to see how stuck in the past we are, Um, especially when I knock on doors, when I'm going door to door and I knock and I introduce myself as the candidate. I can physically see people being taken aback. Like They're like, you? Mm -hmm. It's you? You're the candidate? (laughs) And I'm like, yes, I am. (laughs) And so I think that part kind of shocked me a little bit because I thought maybe we were a little more forward thinking than that. (laughs) But overall, the reception has been great and people are so excited to see something new and something different. And so it's been overall a really positive experience for me. And so what's, what's the makeup of your riding? Like, is it predominantly rural or like, and like, is it young population and older population that would kind of elicit that sort of reaction on the doorstep? Yeah. So majority of my riding is an older population. So about 60 plus, and I have a huge mix of like suburbs, rural and urban. So I have one of the largest ridings in Nova Scotia and I even have an Acadian portion of our, of my riding as well. So the riding itself is extremely diverse. Um, And we have people with all levels of income, extremely diverse backgrounds. So it's really great. And it's exciting for me because I can represent, you know, these are our real people. These are the people that live in Nova Scotia and I, I love how diverse it is because, you know, as a diverse person, it's exciting to have a riding that kind of is reflective of that. So what are you hearing at the door that people's concerns, especially, you know, as it pertains to this election? Yeah, the major concerns that are coming up are healthcare, housing, and our seniors. Mm. Um, so when it comes to healthcare here in Nova Scotia, we're in a bit of a crisis, Um, We have a lot of backlogs for our ambulances, we have long wait times in our emergency rooms, and we have long wait times for specialists and mental health. 
So those are something that come up a lot for our people, um, especially the like pharmacare. There's so many people that are paying out of pocket Ooh. for their prescriptions. And with the rising house costs and the rising rent, that's something that people are having to choose between. They're having to choose between their rent, their prescriptions and groceries. Ooh. So that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um as well as our seniors. So our seniors, our veterans, support for seniors who are on a fixed income, even though the inflation around them, that's been really difficult. And that comes up a lot, especially since a lot of my population here in this riding is older. That's really interesting. So who, uh, before this election was called, uh, had the riding? And what is it that you feel that you can offer that maybe is missing now? Yeah, so the incumbent in our riding is liberal. His name is Daryl Sampson. He is, I believe, a 62-year-old Acadian man. Mm. So him and I are definitely very different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do we want to okay. keep... Do we want to keep... <laughs> got <Yeah>. it. <laughs> As a 25-year-old Mi'kmaq woman... Yeah. Um, I think it's very clear when I'm on the doorsteps, people know how different I am from our incumbent. Um, yeah. And that's why when people are like, we want different, I always laugh and I'm like, yeah, I couldn't be much more different than what we have. Like I'm the diametric opposite. So I'm the change you need. Okay. Yeah. And that, and that explains the reaction of like, oh, you're, you're running. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I, I so one of the things that I had mentioned to Erica on another episode of the podcast was that, like, you know, looking through the lists of candidates on the party's websites, it's it's really hard for me to like see myself reflected back in those pictures, right? And I think that you know you probably feel the same way with seeing who the incumbent is. You'd be like, well, that's not representative representative one me and two like my own personal community right like I think that there's just a lot of this is the way things have always been done and so why why change something that's not broken but again it's broken for who and working for who yeah exactly yeah and this riding has been um it's always been an older white male that has represented this riding. And that's a huge part of why I decided to run because, you know, I have, I have very different life experiences and I think that that's really important and being an everyday working person is something that's extremely relatable to a lot of my constituents. And I've been getting really great feedback because they're like, Oh my gosh, you're a real person. You're down to earth. You've grown up here in this community. Like, you live here, you live the same life as us. And I'm like, yeah, I do. So does the incumbent not live there? I'm not 100% sure. I don't know where he lives. Really? (laughs) I'm sorry. I feel like I'm missing something. (laughs) He's he's been in for six years, but I've never met him. Well, okay. I'm sorry. I am laughing at the ridiculousness of this right now. I, I find this obscene right now. So that's why I'm laughing. Oh, it's very, it reminds me a lot of like in the US where like yeah. the senators or whatever don't necessarily live in their states or like they're there so infrequently. 
I think Mitch McConnell is an example of this. I think Mike Pence was an example of this because when after the 2020 election, when Trump lost and Mike Pence had to go back to Indiana, there was a lot of like news cycles around, oh, Mike Pence is going to have to buy a house (laughs) in Indiana. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. And I think that really goes to show, and this seems to be a recurring theme, Erica, that like, regardless of the level of politics, whether it's city council, provincial or federal, the politics is really local. Oh yeah. That it's about creating those connections with the people and showing that you're there to stand up for them. Most definitely. I think, I think we forget that, that politics really is local and, um, you know, local representation, I, be- I believe should be somebody from the community, but that's me. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm always, I'm always shocked to see, to hear this kind of stuff. And I shouldn't be, it's not because I'm naive or something. It's just like, how could like somebody just be so removed? I'm, I'm assuming that he's removed in some sort of way. He's connected to a very specific part of the population. Yeah, that's a really good point too. And be an effective representative. That's That's my whole thing. You're there to represent your constituents, not to gain power, build your power base, basically. But some people, I feel like we're doing the, the talking for Jenna. <laughs> but anyway, Jenna, this is this is where we're going with this. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and so I got involved because to me, it's about the people. And that's why I decided to run for the NDP, because we're a party that focuses on the people first. And so making those connections is so important to me. And that's why I've been spending every single day knocking on doors. And I also think that has a huge part of why people are taken aback because they're not used to meeting their local candidates at their doorsteps, which is crazy to me because it should be someone that you're meeting on your doorsteps. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Let me ask you this. Who would you say has been left out in terms of your writing and the representation it has now? Yeah, so that's a big question because it's a very big writing. Um, But myself personally, so as a woman, I feel like that has already, our female population has been left out. As an Indigenous person, I feel like that population has also been left out. Um, And I also feel like the African Nova Scotian community has been left out. So... I was in Preston with the provincial candidate just a few days ago and the experiences that they are going through are so similar to what my community goes through. And I was like, tell me how this is not a reserve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they have had no one to represent them. So tell us a little bit more about the experiences. Because I just want our listeners to like really understand why you compare it to a reserve. I truly believe that, um, you know, Black and Indigenous solidarity is is necessary personally. But um, I just want to, I just want everybody to like know what living in Preston, living on reserve, living, you know, in that space looks like or, or, or 
what that experience is. Yeah, absolutely. So our communities, I, I made a post about how our communities are very similar in these ways. So the isolation that our communities face, so they're being tucked away on the outskirts of the city, um, the displacement of our people. So our people were originally in those cities or in those bigger parts of our communities, and they were displaced due to, you know, resources or people trying to basically hide our people. Um, and that displacement is huge. And the things that we're still experiencing now, so things like access to clean drinking water, that is sometimes a big thing in our communities. Um, the government control over everything in those communities, specifically housing. So not allowing our people to own the land or the housing that they're living in. As in Preston specifically, some of these people have been paying rent for over 30 years. And they've been told by the governments that it will be handed over to them after 25 years. But there's women who have lived here their entire lives and they're still paying rent to the government in those housing facilities. Huh. That sounds like a rent to own scheme. <laughs> I'm just <Yeah>. saying. <laughs> Predatory lending. That's what that sounds like. Have you experienced, you know, there's been a lot of media coverage recently about harassment of the party leaders on the campaign trail and some um, local MP candidate, other MP candidates um, also saying that they're now experiencing some harassment on the campaign um, because of just the heightened emotions around this election. Have you experienced any sort of things like that, you know, like comments, messages, whatever? Um, I've definitely experienced, I've had quite a few people um, who think that because I'm Indigenous, that means that I will only represent the Indigenous population, um, which is not the case. So I've had people be like, oh, okay, so will she go to Ottawa and fight for, you know, 2% of our population, which is not the case. Um, I got involved because I want to represent the community as a whole because I feel like that hasn't been being done. And so that is my goal is to represent all of the people in the riding, not just the indigenous people. Um, and I've definitely received some racist comments, but I think as like, as a racialized woman, that's kind of something that you get used to. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> right? Like it's an, awful yes. thing to say. <laughs> it's an awful thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, if you want, if you, <clears throat> I mean, it happens so often we can't, you know, curl up in a ball and die. Like, we have a, like, yeah, it's the same with like the misogynistic comments, right? Like, exactly, exactly. You it's just got to like laugh and brush it off because that's or, what. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and you know, you, you move on. Like, I don't, I totally understand that. This is why I hate like frag fragility. I really do. I hate white fragility because I'm like, do you understand the shit that comes my way every mm -hmm. fucking day? Yeah. No, let's sit down. Yeah. I don't want to hear about how upset you are about whatever is happening to somebody else because it's just about you still. I don't want to see your tears. Bye. <laughs> just Don't tell me you're sorry. Work to fix it. That's my yeah. thing. And I feel like your sort of, of um, approach is like, hey, 
I'm here to represent you, but let's roll up our sleeves kind of thing. If I could lay that on you, like, would you say that's your approach? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. So tell us about, but tell us about like the indigenous community in your riding, some of the issues they're facing, what has not been done that probably should have been done. Obviously I'm not talking historically because we don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> How many hours like, we got? I've been going through all those treaties again. Okay. <laughs> but you know, we saw last year with the with the lobster fisheries, what happened there. Can you shed, are, first of all, is that a part of your ride? Is that, of course, those issues are part of your riding, but is that geographically part of your riding, like that area? No. So geographically, I don't have any Indigenous communities in my riding. Really? That's yeah. interesting. Oh, yeah. good. We got to the we got to the good stuff okay yeah so tell so me I, what that's like and so like I don't have any which is so crazy to me um but I think this is what's most important because although I don't have any indigenous communities that doesn't mean I don't have indigenous constituents yeah that's because right because like myself and my entire family we all live in this riding right because we grew up off reserve mm-hmm. and so there is so many indigenous people in this riding we just don't have that community, which I think makes it even more important to do that advocacy because we're more hidden in our constituency than we would be if we were on reserve. And is that part of like the way you're doing it? Like you're com- at the same time, you're community building uh, or you're building community with sort of up with indigenous people and kind of bringing them together? Yeah, because growing up off reserve is it's hard. You don't have that community connection. And it's like sometimes you don't fit in on reserve and you don't fit in off reserve. So finding that piece of community within your like where you're living is so important. And I think, like you said, regardless of whether there is a reserve in my riding or not, these issues like the moderate livelihood, treaty fishery, those things are still important and Mm -hmm. still need to be talked about. Exactly. Exactly. So you touched on kind of feeling like you're in between, which like is growing up is very interesting to me. It, it is so interesting to me. I'm like, oh, tell us more. Because I feel like I, I, I feel like I kind of know where you're going, but I want you to explain it because I, I probably could like tangentially relate. But let's. Yeah. Yeah. So the most like (laughs) the most basic way that I put it is I am too native for the white communities and too white for my reserve. Mm -hmm. Right. So I sit in this like identity crisis in the middle because I'm a very cultural, spiritual person and I like practice my culture and I'm trying to learn my language and I work with you know, residential school survivors. So I'm still affected by those traumas, Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't grow up there. And so not growing up on reserve, it's hard because you don't necessarily feel like you have a community, which is what led me to turning to the friendship centers because those are basically like urban hubs for indigenous people. Ah, interesting. Okay. And so is that, how do you think that informs um, the way you want to represent your writing that you don't feel like, uh, you, you kind of, you're kind of in between and you have this 
you know, you're, you're forming your, you're still like cementing this identity, this in-between identity. How does that make you sort of like more cognizant of some of the issues that people are facing? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like when we group people in a constituency, it's like, okay, Sackville, Preston, Cheswick, they all have the same concerns. Let's go to Ottawa and fight for those, which is not the case at all. Mm. I think that we need to be working on a more individual level, which is really difficult in a riding as big as this, but knocking on doors in the, in all of the different communities and having these conversations with all of the different people that live here, that is what is important and what will inform. If I'm in Ottawa, that will inform what I'm advocating for because each community has a specific set of needs. Each community has a specific set of concerns and we need to look at the people and not the riding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there were a few high profile MPs that women MPs who aren't seeking re-election uh, this year, including um, Catherine McKenna and uh, Mumalak Kwakwak. And uh, Mumalak Kwakwak specifically said that she felt as though being on Parliament Hill was one, as though Parliament was not for her, specifically as um, an Indigenous woman, and two, that it was kind of oppressive in the way that it was structured. And so if in the event that you are elected to the House of Commons, how are you going to kind of protect yourself and like maintain your like good mental health to ensure that that doesn't happen to you? Because like, you know, Mumalak did a lot of really good work and brought a lot of, raised a lot of awareness about really important issues. Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of like, I've been doing advocacy work since I was young and I've been on a lot of national youth councils and I've been involved locally with politics for the past 10 years. Um, So I feel like I've gotten a pretty good taste of what it's like being in politics. And I know that these spaces are uncomfortable, but personally, I feel like if we don't continue to push and continue to put ourselves in these positions, then there's no way that we will ever see change. And so I think that although these spaces are uncomfortable and they will take a toll on our mental health. And I think when people take a step back, that's okay. But more of us still need to continue to take those steps forward and allow them to take the space that they need for their mental health and to, you know, regather but it's, it's a big job and it's something that I think we all still need to take on and just making sure that we're connecting with our communities and our culture and trusting. Like we had, so we had a call with all of the indigenous candidates for the NDP. There's 29 of us. Um, yeah. Which is amazing. Um, and that we talked about amazing. the importance of like having our culture in our spaces. So making sure that we're able to smudge in our offices, making sure that we're talking to elders about our mental health and making sure that, you know, we're staying on our personal path of healing while we're pursuing these careers. So that's like a really important support mechanism for you mentally then and emotionally and spiritually, actually. Yeah. And the best part is that it's actually being led by uh, a woman who has ran twice. As oh, MP. that's fantastic. 
So it's an extremely good support system for us to have in place. Yeah. That's the thing. I feel like we don't build support systems, unofficial support systems. So one of the things, so we're like definitely kind of dig into what it's like, not for women, but women of color, because A, people barely see us as it is. And B, it's a political system that didn't even envision our participation, right? So how do you, and, and, and how, so how do you, um, when you're dealing with, say, I mean, when you're dealing with, say, I don't know, um, uh, Ottawa is very white and, and male and it's so old fashioned and it, it hasn't like shifted much and parliament is white and male. And it's just like what Mumalak was saying. Was so <laughs> I related. I've been racially profiled on Parliament Hill. OK, so for me, I'm just like, uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that we actually have to do just for our collective sanity is form those unofficial sort of communities and connections and support systems, especially with people who are in a similar boat as you. And I think that's pretty awesome. And I hope that's something that you can replicate, you know, in Ottawa Mm -hmm. is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. No. And that's the, like someone with similar experiences with you, like you were saying, like, as soon as we start talking, there's like a click, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I understand what you're saying. You understand what I'm saying. And that's what makes a connection. And I think that having a support system like that in Ottawa would be so beneficial. I wish women in Ottawa would take that on and actually do. I'm not saying they don't, but I feel like, I feel like it's not like that. It's not as though, and I wonder if just party politics gets in the way. I don't know. I, I, you know, it's interesting because like, I think Ottawa, this is getting really inside baseball, but like the goings on off the hill were always kind of kept a little bit like in secret, but I think now increasingly they're becoming a little bit more out in the open than like, you hear about how when she was in the Senate, Kamala Harris would host dinners for all the women senators at her house. And she did that recently as vice president. And so it was just like a way to like get them to come and like create connections and not necessarily talk about policy, but create those relationships that they can then leverage when they're on the Hill or in Congress. Right. Because like, you can be like, Oh, well, like we are friends or we have this like, connection and I feel like I can talk to you in a reasonable manner instead of it just being like very heightened emotion um so yeah I think I'm guessing not everybody's and every woman senator is invited to this dinner no they are all of them yeah they're not they don't all go but they're all okay yeah yeah fair 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 (laughs) fair and therein lies the nuance but again but again it goes back to exactly what we started started off talking about which is community Mm -hmm. Right. Like you're creating community where you are and then you want to get that you leverage that community to to advance your agenda. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like this. I feel like we just 
we just solved a Rubik's cube or something. We solved. We're amazing. We solved government. We did. We solved the mystery. Uh, exactly. Yeah, but I, I think, and I think that you know when it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine once, and and they had issues with with some white man saying shitty things, and um, it was like. I said to her, I was like, well, why don't you got like, why don't you all get together and like, you know, say something formally, like put it in writing and have it signed by all the women in this, you know, of a certain rank, you know what I mean? And, and I, I realized then that that is something that people who don't have to rely on community miss and have no idea about Mm -hmm. and they don't understand how communities survive and it survive with each other and so the connections if you're a community person that you make just kind of mean more yeah yeah that's why have you guys seen what has been happening in Nova Scotia which part yeah right true um so our conservative government was elected yes and oh, I saw this. yes and yesterday they chose their cabinet I just... mm-hmm. go on mm-hmm. yeah and so they chose their african nova scotian cabinet uh member and they also chose their minister of ilnu affairs so ilnu means the people in Mi'kmaq um, so their office of Aboriginal affairs and their office of, I forget what it's called, African Nova Scotian affairs, maybe. Um, and the African Nova Scotian affairs is a white male, an older white male. And the office of Ilmu affairs or Aboriginal affairs is a white female. That's just white supremacy. Okay. Like that, mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of things that made my blood boil yesterday. That was one of them. I didn't realize that the Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, what's the what's the word in Mi'kmaq? Uh, Ilnu, so it's like L apostrophe N-U. Okay, Ilnu mm-hmm. um, uh, was a white woman. But that's how they try and play us, okay? They're like, we'll give you diversity, but we'll still head it. <laughs> Here's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they do, you know. They just put, they put white women as the overseer to us because that's what they are. They're overseers. That's a fucking plantation. Sorry. I just, I just cannot. Think, and I was like, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, didn't he, and like, I don't know if this is actually true or if I just, someone just like made a snarky tweet or tweeted something snarky and made a tweet. Wow. <laughs> Um, and it was just like, oh, well, the premier said, well, you elected a white government. <laughs> this is what I saw. So there, um, it is an entirely white government except for one candidate. Lord. Oh my gosh. I, I just. <sighs> like the results, when the results came in, like as an indigenous woman, that's terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Because our communities that are within these ridings, they feel like their votes don't matter because they're grouped together with 
non-Indigenous communities or non-African Nova Scotian communities. So regardless of if your whole community gets out to vote, the white vote will still win. Yeah. Oh, that's so frustrating. All right. So one last question. What advice would you have for a woman of color who is considering running for elected office? Yeah, so I think it's a really difficult decision and one that definitely shouldn't be made lightly. And I think it's really important to make sure that you have a good support system in place before you make that decision. So I have great parents, I have great friends, um, I have great mentors, and they are the people that make this a positive experience for me. So regardless of any negative comments, any racism that I might face, um, those people always have my back and being able to fall back on them and being able to have those conversations and talk these things through with them is so crucial to, you know, how I feel at the end of the day. But making these changes and having these conversations with people, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I love door knocking for that reason, by the way. Oh, I love it so much. Most people hate it, but I absolutely love it. It's not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> it's because it's because I'm a talker. Me too. And, and I'm just like, I, I just like, okay. They, and people will just talk. We'll just talk. And, you know, I've heard so many different experiences, door knocking, like with um, and from just different income levels. And that's when you really get to know what people's lives are like, who are not like you. Like it's it's a whole like big blitz of that. Yeah. Like I feel like we live in a community our whole lives. We get up, we go to work, we go home. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, and we don't interact with the people around us. We don't know what the people around us are going through. And so going on the doorsteps and having these conversations is so important because you get to know these people on a level that you never would have before. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I like it. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. This has been really great. And uh, good luck in the election. Yes, thank you guys so much. This has been super fun. And again, thanks to Jenna Chisholm for joining us um, and sharing her story. And I was really interested to learn about uh, Sackville Press and Chesicook. Yeah, I didn't realize um, how diverse it was and how large it was. And I really liked when she talked about her experience living off reserve. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like a lot of us can relate. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I totally get it. Yeah, it's weird how identity can can infiltrate so many, can affect people in so many different ways. And it just goes to show that identity or talking about identity, or it's not divisive. We can actually yeah. find common ground across these division, so-called divisions that we have. Well, if it's done in fair, in good faith, mm-hmm. we can. It's that good faith part. Yeah. Because most of it is not done in good faith. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back next week. So stay tuned, I guess. Bye. Bye.